Welcome to episode 10 of Teacher Talk with Zach Clancy. I'm Zach Clancy. Each week, we'll be exploring a topic in education that will be helpful for K-12 teachers and interesting for everyone else. This week, we're going to be looking at Maria Montessori and Montessori schools. As we'll see, Maria Montessori was, quote, an Italian physician, educator, and innovator, acclaimed for her educational method that builds on the way children naturally learn. She opened the first Montessori school, the Casa dei Bambini, or Children's House, in Rome on July 6th, 1907. Subsequently, she traveled the world and wrote extensively about her approach to education, attracting many devotees. There are now more than 22,000 Montessori schools in at least 110 countries worldwide, unquote. And that's according to the American Montessori Society's website. The reason I picked Montessori schools is because I feel like it's something with which most people are at least vaguely familiar. You probably know someone who went to a Montessori school or works at a Montessori school or maybe you know someone whose kid goes to a Montessori school or went to one, or you've driven past a Montessori school in your neighborhood or you know, lived someplace where you drove past one at some point. Anyway, as we'll see in a moment, it's perhaps better to think of Montessori schooling as a philosophy with considerable room for interpretation and variation. It's something that can and does mean different things to different people. As always, I hope you like this week's episode. Either way, you can reach me at teachertalkwithzachclancy.com. Follow me on Facebook at teachertalkwithzachclancy and on Twitter at teachertalkwzc. That's the words teacher and talk, followed by the letters W, Z, and C. You can also get a hold of me at teachertalkwzc at gmail.com. But before we delve into the details of Montessori schools, it's time for Collaboration Corner. This week's shout-out goes to EduTweet Daily. It's a blog that's run by Maid Harry Santos, a member of the English Education Department at Ganesh University of Education in Bali, Indonesia. His blog features photos, videos, and writings that explore topics related to technology, science, education, sports, and much more. A few articles that I've retweeted have been featured on the blog. You should check it out. Again, that's EduTweet Daily. As always, I'll link to the blog as well as the other sources I cite in the show notes. started. First, I'm going to explain a little bit about Maria Montessori's background, and then we'll explore some of her contributions to education, and then I'll share an idea that I think could be helpful for K-12 teachers. An idea related to Montessori schooling, that is. So while Montessori teaching usually happens on a school-wide level, or at least a classroom level, um, and it usually requires a considerable amount of effort to get started um, if you want to have a full-fledged Montessori classroom. Um, and as a result, teachers often start doing it at the beginning of the school year and put a considerable amount of 
effort and research into it ahead of time. And as most listeners know, this school year is almost over. So it might seem like this is not the most ideal time to begin using something in your classroom related to Montessori schooling. But as we'll see, the idea that I'm going to share with you guys today is something that you can literally start doing in your classroom tomorrow, um, provided that tomorrow is a school day. But um, we're going to get into that in just a minute. But like I said, first, I'm going to tell you about Maria Montessori's background. Um, and just as a side note, uh, I will be sort of breaking with my standard format today, um, and I will be referring to the person featured in this episode by her first name, which is Maria. Um, usually when I talk about a person in an episode, I use their last name, but since Maria's last name is associated with the school, I'll be referring to her by her first name. Uh, anyway, uh, Maria lived from 1870 to 1952, which was according to Ethical Visions in Education, quote, a period marked by tremendous political, economic, and social upheaval. Maria was born in the year of Italy's unification, and her youth, as a child, as an only child, I should say, Maria spent her early childhood in an agricultural town in a coastal providence on the Adriatic Sea. When she was five, the family moved to Rome, where she attended school. Later in life, Maria received training as a physician, itself a revolutionary act. Her subsequent academic study at the university provided her with an understanding of scientific thought as well as an acute capacity for empirical inquiry, unquote. And this is important because, as we'll see in just a few moments, it influenced her contribution to the field of education. So again, according to Ethical Visions in Education, quote, in her early years as a physician, Maria held an appointment at the university hospital while also operating a private practice. As she practiced medicine among the poor in Rome, she was drawn to the condition of those children who were called feeble-minded or deficient and sent to asylums where even their basic needs were unmet, unquote. Maria's work with children was influenced by French physicians and psychologists. From work with her colleagues, Maria, quote, adopted the practice of studying children's activities in their environment and then adjusting the environment based on these observations. She also observed that the environment itself should be customized to the developmental needs of children at various stages, unquote. And as we'll see in a moment, Maria viewed childhood development as something that occurred in four distinct planes, or stages of development. But before we do that, let's finish talking about Maria's backstory. When she was 36 in 1906, Maria, quote, became involved in an urban renewal effort in San Lorenzo, a poor quarter in Rome. There, she opened the first school designed for quote-unquote normal children. And she named it the Casa dei Bambini, or Children's House. The following year, she left the practice of medicine and devoted the remainder of her life to education, unquote. And so for the next 45 years or so, Maria, quote, began to travel the world giving lectures and demonstrations on her educational method. 
During this time, she visited nearly every continent and established official resident status all over the world. Unquote. <clears throat> and she established official residential status in places like Barcelona, England, India, and Amsterdam. Perhaps not surprisingly, Maria considered herself a quote-unquote citizen of the world. So it's interesting, in a manner sort of similar to Kurt Hahn and Paulo Freire, uh, featured respectively in episodes 1 and episode 9 of Teacher Talk, Maria shared her teaching philosophy with an international audience that included people living in other countries. Um, and just as a side note, all of these quotations are from Ethical Visions in Education, uh, which I will link to in the show notes. But anyway, much like Sune Sabato Makaguchi, who is featured in episode 6, Maria's contributions to education were shaped by significant events that were occurring in her home country and around the world while she was developing her teaching philosophy. And much like Kurt Hahn and Paulo Freire, Maria's educational philosophy contradicted some aspects of her government's official ideology, and as a result, she was exiled from her home country. Uh, but like, unlike uh, Freire, I should say, uh, Maria was not able to return to her country of origin, Italy. And again, according to Ethical Visions in Education, quote, the two world wars of the 20th century, the Spanish Civil War of 1936 to 1939, and the rise of fascism in Italy all affected the spread of Montessori ideas and her commitment in later life to the peace movement. During the years between the two world wars, Maria, now grandmother, maintained an active travel schedule, offering international training courses every two years and opening Montessori schools in Austria, England, Germany, Holland, Italy, and Spain. Maria's own desire and economic need to oversee the implementation of the Montessori method led her to demand full control over all aspects of teacher training and production of teaching materials, unquote. So I think it's interesting that Maria was a bit of what today we might call a control freak about her method, which I feel to a certain extent is somewhat understandable. I mean, after all, the method does bear her name. However, about 15 years after her death, two competing Montessori organizations in the United States had a, a trademark dispute over which organization had the right to use the term Montessori. And the dispute ended in a court case that was decided by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Trial and Appeal Board in 1967, um, which ruled that Montessori was a generic or descriptive term um, that anyone could use. Um, so it's kind of like how bandana has become a generic term for handkerchief, or band-aid has become a generic term for bandages, or Kleenex has become a generic term for facial tissue. Um, so the basically the patent appeal board ruled that it was a generic term that people could use and there was not a specific set definition of it. Um, so today, you know, it's entirely possible that you could have heard, heard things about Montessori schools that seem to at least somewhat contradict one another. Um, and, you know, it's not because you're misunderstanding it. It's not because the people who are telling you are not 
telling you accurately what they experienced. You know, all that stuff is happening. It's just, it's it's a sort of um, ambiguous word. You know, it can have sort of different meanings. Um, but regardless, there are a few benefits to Montessori schools that most Montessori schools have in common. Um, and according to the American Montessori Institute, which is one of the two organizations involved in the 1967 court case, there are six commonalities which they have listed on their website. And they are that each child is valued as a unique individual, that beginning at an early age, Montessori students develop order, coordination, concentration, and independence, that Montessori students enjoy freedom within limits, and that students are supported in becoming active seekers of knowledge. So those are four of the six benefits. There are two more, and those two are important because they relate to one of the practical applications of Montessori schooling that I want to talk about. These two benefits are related to the creation and maintenance of a peaceful learning environment. And they are the idea that students are part of a close, caring community, and the idea that self-correction and self-assessment are an integral part of the Montessori classroom approach. And according to Ethical Visions in Education, Maria argued that, quote, peace is not a passive endeavor. Instead, peace is made in daily interactions, large and small. Maria's most overt demonstration of peace education occurs in what is sometimes known as the quote-unquote peace rose ceremony. As a result, many Montessori classrooms include an area specially designated for conflict resolution. Usually this is a quiet space that may contain a rug or a table set up with objects designed to calm the spirit. Children are free to spend time at the table when they are feeling out of sorts or need a break from the morning routine. Often the area will contain a vase with a single rose. This is the quote-unquote peace rose. Children who are engaged in a disagreement are encouraged to go to the table together to take turns listening as each explains how he or she is feeling and ultimately, and often with the guidance of an adult, to come to an agreement that each can live with. At the conclusion of the discussion, the students are encouraged to declare peace and younger students will often repeat the phrase, we declare peace, sometimes holding the rose together. Older students are more likely to offer the rose as an opening to discussion. A child may approach another child with whom he or she has had a conflict, hand them the rose, and ask for a solution to the problem. Implicit in the concept of the peace table is the notion that conflict is a natural part of community life. The very presence of a space in the classroom devoted to peaceful conflict resolution acknowledges that peace is a goal that requires ongoing commitment. Unquote. So in Montessori schools, students make an active commitment to keeping the peace. And when there's a conflict, it's up to the students to resolve it. And I feel like this is something that teachers could do in their own classrooms. It doesn't require a ton of materials. You just need a space in your classroom and a rose. 
or anything the kids could pass to one another safely and relatively quickly. You know, it could be anything that would double for a hall pass. Um, and I feel like this practice is at least somewhat related to something that educators refer to as res the restorative practices approach with classroom circles, which is basically a quote, framework for building community and for responding to challenging behavior through authentic dialogue, coming to understanding and making things right, unquote. Unfortunately, we're running out of time for this week's episode and the restorative approach is beyond the scope of this episode, but it's definitely something that I'm planning to revisit in a future episode. Anyway, like I said, that's about all the time we have for this week. What do you think about Maria Montessori's approach to teaching? Do you have any experience in a Montessori school as a student, parent, and or teacher? What do you think about the idea of declaring peace as a classroom practice? As always, send your answers my way, along with any other questions or comments you might have about past episodes, <clears throat> as well as suggestions for future episodes, to teachertalkwithzackclancy.com. You can also reach me at teachertalkwzc at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at TeacherTalkWZC and Facebook at Teacher Talk with Zach Clancy. That's all the time for this week's show. I'm Zach Clancy. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>